because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Our next scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. Uh, my name is Rich Hansen. Uh, John was kind enough to invite me to uh, come and preach again when he's out of town this weekend. And it's uh, a great pleasure and a great opportunity, a humbling one, uh, to be back with you. I asked John if I could continue the theme that I started when I <coughs> preached kind of in the last minute uh, before Christmas about the kingdom of God. And he kindly agreed, and so today we're going to simply uh, take another step from where we left off uh, quite a few months ago, rather than just uh, pulling my easiest random sermon out of the pile uh, to give to you. And so, once again, we're going to read Jesus' own announcement of his mission, which is the kingdom of God, that we find in Mark's Gospel. And so we'll be reading from Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. Hear God's word. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and in the wilderness for 40 days he was tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. And now comes the announcement. These are the very first words of Jesus in the first recorded gospel. Now after John was arrested, came Jesus into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And notice how in two times, both before and after, Jesus says the gospel is this kingdom of God. He says the time is fulfilled. He came preaching the gospel of God. So what, it is, what is it 
the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, and then just so we don't miss it, he says afterwards, repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a high school student in Nebraska in the, in the 60s, I played trumpet in a rock band that had the amazing name Stark Reality. And so Stark Reality became such a hot item in western Nebraska that in the summer of 1969, we went on a two-week tour. Uh, we toured Wyoming and South Dakota, all of the hot spots. Why our parents ever let us 17-year-olds drive around other states for two weeks, totally unsupervised, I have no idea, but they did. And so one day in Cody, Wyoming, we met another band, and we were talking to these guys, and one guy showed us his fuzz pedal. So a fuzz pedal back in those days was a box about five inches square. It had a kind of a pressure-activated switch, so you would push on it, and it would change how your guitar sounded. So he showed us his fuzz pedal, and he said, here is where I hide my grass. <laughs> now, I mowed the grass every week at home, <laughs> and the only vision in my mind, fortunately I didn't say this out loud, was why is he putting grass clippings in that box? That's not only the story of a naive small-town Nebraska kid, which it is, it's also an example of worldview. If you remember a long time ago now, I spoke with you about worldview and how important it is for us as Christians. Worldview is like the blinders that horses wear so they can only see in one direction. And we all wear worldview blinders that makes invisible around us reality that's all around us that we simply can't see. And so, like the word grass, the words kingdom of God might mean different things to different people here today, but the critical question is not what those words mean to us, it's what did they mean to Jesus? What did they mean in the scripture? And worldview of the kingdom of God in scripture means the rule of God. It's the grand narrative of all scripture. God rules a good creation, but then human beings uh, <clears throat> reject his rule and become broken, and all creation becomes broken with him. And then God promises that he's going to restore his rule one day. He is going to rescue and heal and save these people until his rule is one day restored. And Jesus comes announcing the fact that God's rule is now in the process of being restored. The kingdom of God is at hand. And interestingly enough, he quotes Isaiah, which we just heard in our scripture reading, to of all people, John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist, as things went along, was not seeing the signs of the Messiah in Jesus that he expected. He expected this son of David, warrior king type Messiah that was going to kick out the hated Romans from Palestine. And he wasn't seeing any of that. And so he actually sends his disciples to Jesus asking, are you the one? 
And here's how Jesus responds, quoting Isaiah. Luke 7, beginning with verse 11. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are ye who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he cured many of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many that were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is he who takes no offense at me. Jesus is saying, the very evidence that the kingdom of God is at hand is all around you and the things that I am doing. Simply look at what I'm doing and you'll see that the kingdom of God is alive and working in me. Today, I want to invite you to explore with me how we personally become involved in this kingdom of God movement that Jesus announces is his mission on earth. And to do so, I want to reflect on what we heard in our reading from 2 Corinthians, that we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal through us. But before we get there, we need to repent. He said, repent, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, repent is another one of those grass-like words that can conjure up a lot of different emotions or feelings in different people. In Greek, the word is metanoia, and here's how the <clears throat> Orthodox Church in Greece defines metanoia a change of mind, a reorientation, a fundamental transformation of outlook of man's vision of the world and of himself, a new way of loving others and God. So why, as we begin this journey in following Jesus, do we first need to repent? Well, because repenting, metanoia, is ultimately about changing our worldview. It's a transformation of how we see the world and how we see God. And in fact, that's what Jesus asks John to do. You see, we all need to repent of our worldviews because human worldviews can never begin to encompass the magnitude of all that God is doing in the world. John the Baptist's human worldview was small and tiny compared to what Jesus was doing. And so as we repent of our worldviews, we come to understand how we can truly become part of this kingdom of God movement. And you see, for us Americans, we have a special role to play here because the American worldview, first and foremost and always, is based on individualism. We think as individuals. And later on, we add community to it. But you see, in the Bible, the biblical worldview always starts with communities and then adds in individuals. And so here's a spoiler alert. We're heading to a place where we have to repent of the fact that only a few individuals can be involved in God's kingdom work when, in fact, it takes a whole 
community. It takes all of us. So I had a long time ago, someone shared with me a way to imagine how we might become ambassadors for Christ. And I actually have a graphic to show you that we're going to put on the, the slide right now. So imagine this. Imagine the spiritual life is a journey. It's a journey from being opposed to God in some way or another to eventually having a vibrant walk with Christ. It's a journey like crossing a creek or a stream, stepping by stone, by stone, by stone. No one jumps all the way from negative 10, totally opposed to God, to positive 10, totally living a vibrant faith life. All of us have been and still are on a journey from one stone to the next. So here's the second slide to go with it. So look at that purple arrow. You see, for some of us, we have been taught that the only crucial point in the spiritual journey is that moment at ground zero when we hear a verbal witness and we say yes to Jesus. Now, that is absolutely an, a very important part. And just a few weeks ago, John was preaching from 1 Peter 3 about that famous verse that says we should always be ready to give reasons for the hope that lies within us. That transition from the negative side to the positive side is crucial. But for many of us, we can't remember one conversation, can we? We can't remember one before and after conversation. For us, it's been more of a process. It's been more of a step-by-step -step process. And so, if we have a certain kind of worldview, we think the only thing that really matters to God, the only people who can truly be God's ambassadors are the ones who are part of that verbal witness, the ones who drop the seed into the waiting soil so that it can take root. I would venture to say because of our American worldview, that's not the challenge that we face today in America. Having a clear verbal witness is not the main challenge we face with unchurched people. I would say the main challenge we face is helping people get to the point where the soil of their lives is fertile enough that the seed can even be planted. Because today in America, most unchurched people in study after study after study are telling us that they look at the Christian faith and the soil of their lives is rocky and hard and filled with stones. Just last year, Christianity Today had a report about how Americans feel about evangelicals, which EP is an evangelical church. Maybe a lot of us would somehow claim that label. Here's what the study found. 22% of Americans who did not know any evangelicals nevertheless had a negative, unfavorable view of evangelicals, which seems unfair. Why would people who don't even know us have an unfavorable view toward us? 22% who didn't know any evangelicals had an unfavorable view of evangelicals. People 
who, had, who knew at least one evangelical person, 33% were unfavorable. Now that should make us all cringe. If God is making his appeal through us, we are doing it backwards. The more people get to know us as evangelicals, the less appealing they find us. And so somehow, our task, if we are to be ambassadors for Christ, is to help people move down that continuum where they can feel positive about having spiritual conversations. There are many ways to do that, and I certainly don't have time to talk about them all, but I want to read to you something from one of my spiritual heroes. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe you heard that name. He was a very famous uh, German evangelical Christian during World War II. He started an underground seminary against the Nazi regime and was ultimately martyred for his faith at the end of World War II. About the life in his underground seminary, he wrote a little book called Life Together. And here's what he says about the ministry of listening. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking when they should be listening. But he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. One who cannot listen long and patiently will presently be talking beside the point and never really be speaking to others, albeit he is not conscious of it. Anyone who thinks that his time is too valuable to spend keeping quiet will eventually have no time for God or his brother, but only for himself and his own follies. When I first read those words a long time ago, it made me think that there is some kind of intimate spiritual connection between listening to other people in my life and being able to listen to God. And the more I can do one, the more I'm better able to do the other. Friends, one of the best ways all of us can allow God to make his appeal through us to a very skeptical American society is by going out of our way to simply listen to people. Simply seriously, consciously, intentionally listen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that when we listen to people, they take note. I have one more slide to show you. And now the slide has lots of arrows because I hope by now you're convinced that it takes more than one moment. It takes many moments. There are many moments on our spiritual journeys. If you would stop and think for a minute, I'm sure you would agree. There wasn't just one moment, even if you had, like I have had, an opportunity where I said yes to Jesus and I can remember that point in time. There were many moments leading up to that and many moments following that. All of us, not simply a few individuals who happen to be fortunate enough to drop the seed into the waiting soil, all of us here, whoever we are, have an opportunity to be an ambassador for Christ that God will make his appeal through us. 
And that happens, as, as Cheryl was describing, in a lots of ways after people come to faith, in a very wonderful way. Lots of people are also being used as ambassadors after faith happens. And so if it's true that there are, are many arrows, many points, many of us probably without even realizing it are being used right now as ambassadors for Christ in someone else's life, why is it that some of us still think that only that moment, only that moment of verbal witness, only that moment, only that person gets to be an ambassador? We need to take the blinders off and see that God's ambassadors encompass all of us. Because you see, there are three hurtful things that are happening if we keep those blinders on in ways that we keep shooting ourselves in the foot. One is that so many Christians needlessly feel like they have been failures in their spiritual lives. I was talking with a woman just a couple of weeks ago before worship who was telling me that she grew up in a worldview setting where she was told the only people who really counted for God were those who were able to, quote, lead others to Christ. And she had never been able to do that. She was never fortunate enough to be the one at that moment. And she said there has been guilt and even shame that is still in her life all these years later because she feels like she's fallen short from what God expected of her. And second, when we don't take these blinders off, so many of us are simply staying on the bench when we should be in the game. You know, on a soccer team, usually it's only the striker that, that makes the goals. But the striker would never, ever make any goal unless the whole team was on the field playing. And third, and unfortunately, this is true more often than we perhaps realize. When we keep these blinders on, it can twist around honest spiritual conversations until they become manipulative salesmanship. So I became a serious Christian during college, and my college fellowship sent me to an evangelistic training event. I was excited to share my faith. And so this is what they told me. They said, well, hang out in restrooms on campus. <laughs> I'm being serious. And when you're hanging out at the restroom, whenever someone finishes and goes up to the sink to wash their hands, you quickly go up to wash your hands to the sink next to them and say, Jesus washed me free of sin, and he can do the same for you. Even as a very young Christian, something just didn't sound right. <laughs> and so I never did do that. You see, the reason we all laugh is that the truth hurts, doesn't it? Some of us have been that person who's been that mark that someone else wants to, you know, just follow their formula and just in a quick little way, they're going to be one to Christ. It usually doesn't happen that way. 
And when we try to force it, when we try to think, I've got to do it in a certain way at a certain time, things often go wrong, even when we have good intentions. So what's the point for today? The point is simply this. All of us are called to be ambassadors for Christ. God wants to make his appeal through every single one of us. And all of us have opportunities to do that. We simply need to take off the worldview blinders that say it's only the job of certain people, pastors, missionaries, super Christians, people who are good talkers, people who can quote the Bible. No, it's the job, it's the calling of all of us. Every single one of us is on the team. And not only is that true, that it takes a community to share the faith, just like it takes a village to raise a child, not only is it true that it takes a community to share the faith, it takes a community to impact a community, like Annapolis. Let me tell you one last story. So in, tw in 22, 2002, I was sitting in the back of a notorious bar called Bogart and Lulu's that was behind our downtown church in California. It was across the alley, behind the alley. And I was sitting there because I'd been invited to a second year anniversary of the Bogart and Lulu's being in business. And I was there with about 40 or 50 other people, Chamber of Commerce types, all the beer distributors, the DJs who played music, uh, quite an eclectic, little bit of a rowdy crowd. And Jill, the manager, when she got up to welcome the crowd, had to quiet them down, welcome the crowd, the very first thing that she said when she took the microphone was this. I want to thank Pastor Rich and the people from First Press coming today and praying for us every Wednesday. That caused some heads to snap around to where I was sitting in back of the bar. And Jill went on to explain that about a year earlier in our local newspaper, there was a front page article about a man leaving Bogart and Lulu's who was knifed to death, who was murdered right behind our church building in the parking lot where our people parked every single Sunday, which adjoined Bogart and Lulu's. And the next day, some people from our church went and met Jill and said, we read about what happened in the paper, how can we help? And Jill talked about the violence and how things got out of hand often in the bar. And so it was decided that the best way they could help would be to pray for safety of the patrons of the bar. And she said Wednesday was the rowdiest night of the week, so they came every four o'clock Wednesday afternoons to pray. Wasn't long before the bartenders and the hostesses were bringing their personal prayer requests to these people who were there praying. And something I find incredibly sweet, they wrote them on cocktail napkins. And people would come back from praying and they would show me all these cocktail napkins with these prayer requests. And Jill went on to say that in the year 
that our people, every single Wednesday at 4 o'clock, had been praying for safety for the patrons Wednesday night. In that entire year, not a single incident of violence had happened. And she concluded by saying, I don't know where we would be today if it were not for the people of First Press praying for us. <laughs> so, yes, we're, thank you, Lord. <laughs> but that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is this. So after the, the meeting kind of broke up and, and everyone continued to imbibe of the, the free drinks that were there, I went over and talked to some people from our church that had just come out just to support Bogart and Lulu's, and I thanked them for coming. And one dear woman said to me, as she looked at all these rowdy people kind of around her drinking, she said, I never thought I'd come to a place like this. And I knew exactly what she was saying because the bar had a notorious reputation. And then her church friend sitting right next to her said, but this is exactly the kind of place where Jesus would come. Those two women were God's ambassadors, even though they didn't even realize it. See, friends, when we actually give ourselves away in no strings attached, compassionate love, when we embrace the peoples that Jesus would go to, when we embrace the dark places that people want to shy away from, when we do those things, heads snap around. Because people in America aren't used to seeing, tragically enough Christians doing this. If all of us here at EP want to be a church through which God is making his appeal to all of Annapolis, I think the best thing we can do is find those places where Jesus would go and follow him there. I want to end with some words from Eugene Peterson. He wrote a book, uh, he's another of my spiritual heroes, called Run with the Horses about uh, the book of Jeremiah. And he writes in a very eloquent way that all of us, just like Jeremiah, all of us are called to be engaged in this fight. Here's what he says. What is God doing? He is saving he is rescuing, he is blessing, he is providing, he is judging, he is healing, he is enlightening. There is a spiritual war in progress, an all-out moral battle. God is in continuous and energetic battle against all of it. God is for life and against death. God is for love and against hate. God is for hope and against despair. God is for heaven and against hell. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square foot of space is contested. Good description of the kingdom of God. 
And then he concludes by saying, before I was good for anything, God decided I was good for what he was doing. My place in life is not determined by what market there is for my type of personality. God is out to win the world in love, and each person has been selected in the same way that Jeremiah was, to be set apart to do it with him. He doesn't wait to see how we turn out to decide to choose or not to choose us. Before we were born, he chose us for his side. That's who you are, friends. Before you were born, God chose you for his side. He chose you to be his ambassador so that he could make his appeal to a skeptical waiting world through you. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we are thankful for this calling. We are thankful that it isn't just a few of us. It isn't the superstar Christians, the soul winners, the people we think I could never be like that person. It isn't only those people who are called to be ambassadors. It is all of us, the introverts, the ones who think we have nothing to offer, and the ones who are not able for various reasons to do a lot of the things that maybe we take for granted. All of us, every single one, you call to be your ambassador because you have planned before the foundation of the world to make your appeal through us. Lord, may we claim that for ourselves. May we repent of our old worldviews. May we join a new worldview that says, yes, I will go into the places where Jesus goes. We ask this in the name of him who came to live out and announce the holistic mind, body, spirit, kingdom of God that is moving across the face of the earth. Amen.